Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. I'm so grateful to have as our guest today, Joseph Lackey. Joseph is the CEO at Dreams Fulfilled. I'm very excited to get to know Joe and hear about his wonderful organization. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Spence. I'm glad to be here. And uh, it's certainly an honor, a pleasure to be able to relay what Dreams Fulfilled has been doing across the different international spaces, as well as domestically, to promote Lean Six Sigma Kaizen. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about that uh, for our listening audience. I'm already a big fan. I've enjoyed learning more about that. But I know, as you said in your notes, there are a lot of people who don't know about it and haven't been able to tap into the power. So we're excited to learn from you on that. Before we go there, though, if it's all right, I'd love to hear more about you, just what you've been doing further back. Anything about your past you'd like to share with us that is part of your story that brought you to where you are? Because all of us have a unique story and a journey that we've taken. So I'd love to hear some of the highlights of yours to begin, and then we can dive into more of the, the educational, I guess, kind of the, the side of getting aware of, of some of these wonderful tools you use with your clients. Okay. Um, yeah. Basically, I grew up in a small little town about 15 miles south of Buffalo, New York, in Elma, New York, and it relocated to the state of Florida in November of 2019. I was educated. Uh, I have a master's of science in mechanical engineering with, a, I guess it was like a magna cum laude uh, honorary uh, title for the State University of New York at Buffalo and a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering, summa cum laude, with also additional healthcare experience as a massage therapist. And I was trained and licensed in the state of New York with that as well. And I'm also uh, been training independently with the prestigious National Association of Corporate Directors and the Private Directors Association. And I'm also, I am also do a lot of independent work with uh, BTOES, which is the Business Transformation Operations Excellence Team. And they're, they're actually also experts in Lean Six Sigma Kaizen. So first of all, uh, my company, Dreams Fulfilled, we help businesses and governments do better with Lean Six Sigma Kaizen consulting expertise. I have direct experience consulting across various sectors of the US economy including for governors and presidential advisors, as well as leading international businesses, protecting over $60 billion of capital assets with analytics testing, business development, cyber, and Lean Six Sigma Kaizen excellence using experimental design methods and robot process automation in R&D technical environments. I know that's a lot, but at the end of the day, well, let me first get into what Kaizen does. Actually, yesterday, I just released my uh, first Dreams Fulfilled in Florida website, which is actually I put on the chat. The Dreams Fulfilled in Florida website is the newest addition to our list of websites that we, we host. But this website is really unique because it captures, you know, some of the different skills and professional services we've been providing to companies ranging from Tesla to Microsoft to Western Union to even the uh, the federal government in terms of DHS and uh, uh, CDC relative to the pandemic consulting work that we've done. So basically, uh, you know, just a, a lot of experience working with different 
systems. And uh, I guess the first thing I'd like to go over is, um, so probably many in the audience probably don't understand what lean Six Sigma Kaizen is, right, Spencer? Yeah, that's right. There's certainly many who haven't had at least hands-on experience. I think a lot of people probably know the idea behind it, like the idea of doing things more efficiently. More. That's I know that's a lay term, but love to have you expand on that and help us see more of the science, I guess, the details behind that. What does that mean? Well, let me provide an example of Lean Six Sigma Kaizen. Okay, and it's a very simple example. So this will actually appeal to the younger audience. But if there was a path between two points, obviously a longer way around would take longer to travel and waste resources. So if you have to hike six miles to travel a straight line distance of, let's say, two miles, you become very tired in your additional journey. But, you know, sometimes as business owners and people executing decisions, we often don't have the ability to take the shortest path because of roadblocks, stress, finances, or technical problems preventing us from taking a direct path to a solution. I think we've all experienced this. A certain item might not be available at a grocery store or something is sold out. So we have to settle or compromise our decisions to make the best choice available to us. So essentially, uh, the idea behind Kaizen is that sometimes the compromise that we make is, is equivalent, but often we may be compromising our schedules for delivery, quality, functionality, cost, or convenience. A Lean Six Sigma Kaizen solution optimizes all the variables so the best option is selected to get that the job done as efficiently as possible. The optimization of the straight line two-mile hike is the two-mile hike and certainly isn't six miles. But if there's a path blocked due to, let's say, an accident, then perhaps the Kaizen solution in that case becomes three miles with an alternative out-of-the-way roadway to overcome the insurmountable obstacle like, like the boulder or the accident blocking the road. So if a bulldozer was immediately available with a qualified operator, then the best solution would be to get the obstruction removed as soon as possible for the community of drivers in the area. So in simple terms, Kaizen Solutions center around optimizing costs and one's time by tweaking the process and our procedure until there is no more waste. Waste elimination, of course, is eco-friendly. And that's why Dreams Fulfilled is embraced by boardrooms across the country with the needed work that we accomplish. Every boardroom now is, is under pressure for ESG compliance and ESG or environment social governance is essentially a, a fundamental concern for boardrooms and for directors that are leading their, their companies to success. So, and that, that's the beauty of Kaizen is by embracing the Kaizen solution, you will be eliminating waste, which increases the profitability of your company and also promotes ESG. So it's very eco-friendly. So I, can I interject a question? Yeah, go ahead. I'm just curious. So I know that... Uh, Traditionally, as far as like going back to the origins of at least the Six Sigma movement and Motorola, and as we look at just different organizations that have become famous, the Toyota way, and for applying these principles, they're big organizations. There are certainly ways to apply them in a smaller organization. A lot of our listeners are with uh, small to mid market type companies. I guess what are your words of counsel or or reflections on how these can be applied in a 
a simpler environment where there's not tens of thousands of employees and hundreds of thousands of SKUs or, you know, whatever the, the complexity certainly can benefit from that. I'm, I know there's also tremendous benefit for a simpler context. And again, I'm not talking about like a five person startup, but if you have, let's say a 300 or 500 person company that's doing well, but there's plenty of opportunity to be efficient, how can they pull some of these tools in and, and do better? Well, actually that that's where I'm going to lead into it from an engineering standpoint. And I, I think that's, that's probably where a lot of companies can, can leverage their own computer environments to optimize a process. But in doing so, though, they also have to make sure that they didn't make stupid happen at the speed of light, because that, that's what automation can do. I mean, I don't know how many times you've logged into different, you know, either auto schedulers or auto resets and the process falls apart. And then you're left hanging and there's no solution because the computer just destroyed the ability for you to communicate with the business. And that problem can actually destroy uh, customer to business relationships. It's a very, uh, I guess, strong challenge and strong problem for for businesses if they do execute an automatic process to make sure that it has quality in the testing. And a lot of the students coming out of school these days are either just so distracted that they rush to release, you know, computer programs or designs, and they haven't fully vetted the design, right, or validated it. And that's something the automotive industry does very well, because they will test and test and test. And that, that's where Six Sigma comes in, right? If you know your population deviation Basically, you know the performance of the part, you know, having worked myself in the automotive sector for um, Mali, uh, which, uh, well, formerly was Delphi Thermal Systems, um, and also having experience with GM and Opel and Toyota, Audi, EW, to name a few, and additionally with now with Tesla. These companies are essentially, you know, working to try to understand their part variation, right? And I guess that that's the beauty of, of having good engineering tools to document the parts, the, the variance in production, you know, the geometric uh, tolerancing from a dimensional standpoint, and being able to, to do go through all that stuff basically facilitates a lean six sigma process. And basically, you'll know how long a part will last because you've fully documented all of its characteristics you know, from a tolerance standpoint and also from a performance standpoint. And I I guess that's how an industry can actually leverage um, uh, Lean Six Sigma Kaizen is then you know that it puts it in terms of risk, right? Because now we understand that a part will fail after, let's say, four years. Well, you know what? A lot of the automakers will will sanction the, the part and say, well, the warranty period of the, of the part of the car is three years because we understand that after four or five years, the car or the parts of the car may have trouble. So from a business standpoint, a lot of these companies will use this statistical analysis to basically gauge and provide warranty information for the insurance industry, for underwriters, and that type of thing. So you know, it's very critical to understand how a part performs and and also to leverage the tools of robot process automation, which can then be used by the engineering teams to 
basically increase efficiencies of their process. And if, if it's a, a standard process, it can be programmed, which basically reduces human error and can make the tool very efficient to analyze lots of data. And actually, I, I did a lot of this in the automotive sector where I, I was able to help out with RPA tools to understand part variation and then also to prevent warranty spills, which saved the companies I worked for you know, literally millions of tens of maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars over time. So I guess that's really the beauty of, of uh, Kaizen and how it can be leveraged to help improve a company's uh, performance, reliability, safety, and everything. It looks like you're, you're going to chime in, Spence. I know that you also have really helped with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. You alluded to that earlier, and I'm just curious if you could share a, a little bit more detail there of the good work that your organization and, and these principles did to really help move uh, the process toward recovery and whatever role you had uh, forward with the pandemic. Yeah, um, actually, uh, at the end of the day, we provided some consulting advice back to Governor DeSantis, which he ended up using in an article he wrote in the Wall Street Journal in March of 2021. It, it was uh, titled something to the effect of Don't Trust the Elites. It was a great article where basically he reiterated some of the communications we had back to his office unofficially on the pandemic. But to understand what we did, basically we were able to document the fact that lockdowns did not seem to work in stopping the spread of the virus. So all these states that locked down may have actually created an unemployment problem, which may have actually killed several hundred thousand people because essentially there was a study in the 1998 public health, which showed that it was a uh, volume 88, number 12, that showed that about 3.4% of males die from long-term unemployment. So if you have, let's say, 10 million people unemployed, this translates into 340,000 people dead long-term, which is tragic, right? So, and we actually looked at a statistical correlation. We compared several states, including California, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, New York, Tennessee, and Texas. And we found a 0.96 correlation coefficient, which in layman's terms basically means you can just plot a straight line to the data. So you take the state's population, boom, that's about how many cases of COVID-19 were present in the state. They were directly correlated. So you could basically mathematically model it with a straight line. So the fact that it was statistically so correlated with the straight line really did highlight the fact that lockdowns in the northern states really did not have any significant effect in reducing the number of cases of COVID-19. So you would have expected that states like New York that were locked down in Michigan and California, they would have seen a reduction in the cases of COVID, but that wasn't the case. So basically all these states that locked down really just ended up killing their economies, possibly causing $2 trillion worth of damage to the U.S. economy because of the lockdowns. But then we started to uncover, we we're like trying to understand maybe there was something else going on with the pandemic, right? Maybe it was a cover story. I mean, yeah, people may be dying, but maybe 
you know, there was another reason why this was, why these lockdowns were happening. And I actually started doing some research in the Brexit, which uh, no, it seemed like a lot of the, the news agencies stopped talking about Brexit during 2020. And I think for good reason they did, because it was an economic disaster that was happening in the backdrop with the banks. The reason I say that is because imagine trying to detangle British assets from the euro. How, how complicated that must have been for the banks. And then also, if things had been continuing as if it had been a normal economy with international trade, can you imagine how difficult it would have been to try to detangle these assets during the Brexit from the banking standpoint? So actually, it was probably fortuitous or a cover story, I don't know which. But anyways, it is an interesting observation that this whole Brexit thing kind of transpired during the same point of the pandemic. And it's also interesting if you analyze the data of the, the economies, essentially there was also this LIBOR, which was uh, basically the bank's charge between themselves. This LIBOR stands for the London International Banking Overnight Financing Rate. Essentially, this, this LIBOR got transitioned over to the or London Interbank Offered Rate, I'm sorry, or ICE LIBOR, got transitioned over to SOFR. And SOFR is the alternative to this, which is the secured overnight financing rate data, which is backward looking and backed by the U.S. Treasury. So if you look at the data between April 2018 and approximately when the pandemic started from April 2018 to April 2020, the British assets or British, uh, the strength of the British dollar declined at least like 40%. So that was definitely tied into, it looked like it was tied in to the Brexit. And then after the, the height of the pandemic in April 2020, then the rate or the, the strength of the British pound actually restabilized with the support from the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. It's an interesting correlation. We actually published uh, an article in LinkedIn showing this interesting correlation. And it, it's just fascinating when you look at it, you're just like, wow, maybe that's what was really going on in the backdrop of COVID was we were actually just trying to detangle British assets from the euro. So it was an interesting, like I said, piece of data, which like, I guess a lot of governments have been somewhat quiet on but you really wonder, it was actually probably a good thing that the pandemic was going on for the banks, because I don't think they could have detangled those assets if international trade had been at full scale. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Kind of a unique uh, view of kind of the silver lining. You know, there, there are certainly some silver linings in terms of things that we learned and actions that was were taken during the pandemic that may not have been taken otherwise, as you're saying, or couldn't have been taken uh, otherwise, now one of the things that stands out to me in, in what you've been talking about is just that it really revolves. Everything revolves around trusting the data and looking to the data and utilizing the data to make good decisions. So I'm just again, I'm, I'm trying to. I feel like kind of one of my jobs here is to try to connect in the power of the the depth of knowledge, the technical detail, and the knowledge that you've been so generous in sharing thus far, and figuring out the way to to apply it in a, a practical sense that 
that a leader can grab hold of and, and go and carry into their teams. Do you have any recommendations along those lines as far as an action item that, that someone can, whether that's just to go learn more about Kaizen and, and Lean Six Sigma or whatever it is, but what is it that someone can do to go and, and take this knowledge to the bank, so to speak, and go and apply it? Well, my training, like I said, is, has been on the engineering side. So I have, I have a lot of close coursework in design of experiments. And then that's also backed up with real practical applications of being able to, to root problem solve complicated engineering problems. So, you know, those are all powerful toolboxes, but that takes years of learning, right? So I, I guess at the end of the day, the bottom line for companies is they really do need to, to check and test systems. But the problem is there's so many different variants, right? I mean, we have Android, we have iPhones, we have computer websites, we have, I mean, and, and an iPhone can behave differently than an Android. And similarly, a website can behave differently than either of those two phones. So when you're releasing a website or you're doing uh, product evaluations on systems, I guess the immense technological challenge right now is, is very difficult to put your hands around. Well, that, that's where, you know, good data scientists, computer programmers, and program managers and directors and board members really can, can help maybe foster good um, strategic guidance so that their companies can then rally behind excellence. And really, excellence only comes with hard work. So and a lot of companies don't validate their systems. And as a result of not validating a system and rushing to release, then that's where problems happen, right? Because, and it happens to everyone. We're all in a hurry to do X, Y, or Z. And sometimes we do things that take short steps. And then those, those short steps can actually bite us later on because they're either warranty complaints or uh, will we'll increase the costs of doing business and actually burden us from moving forward because we we rushed and or, or sometimes we even degraded a product. We took something that was really good at one time and over the years we didn't understand why it was designed that way and we actually destroyed it by redesigning it. So that's something that I guess the more seasoned board members and directors will have the ability to use Lean Six Sigma Kaizen to be able to make strategic decisions to guide their organizations forward so that they're not making tragic mistakes that can open up liability and or cause them headaches in, in terms of the future. And if you look at major industries right now, there are companies out there that have struggled with this, you know, where they've made mistakes. Self-driving cars aren't perfect. And, you know, that, that can open up a whole other, I guess, source of liability if if there's a weather condition or a, a faulty map or a sensor that or if the self-driving car is hacked. There are a lot of different variables that businesses have to consider when they develop new technology to fully test it so that it doesn't create a, a public safety issue. And that's where ESG comes in, right? Because then you have your check stops with the board or with governance with the National Transportation Safety 
committees and the different governing boards to make sure companies are in compliance and are doing things that are going to be safe for their consumers. And I guess, Spence, the last thing I'm going to echo on is something I gathered out of engineering school, which I thought was really fascinating, is that basically there's something called the second law of thermodynamics, which says that entropy or chaos is always increasing in the universe. This is in direct contradiction to the theory of evolution, which contends that we evolved or became more organized on the primordial soup. So when you're awakened in the morning to a spontaneous egg omelet breakfast on your table or pre-made coffee in the morning, these things just didn't appear or happen. But somehow in this theory of evolution that the biologists promote, they're actually saying that life evolved or became selected into more organization. And I have a hard time with this because, like I said, because of that second law of thermodynamics or entropy, which basically is the guiding law of the universe that essentially, you know, everything is becoming more chaotic with time, right? So essentially we now have, you know, an issue with with things just breaking down and dying. We see this in our natural course of life and we really don't see organization. I mean, imagine an amoeba evolving into a human being or even carbon, oxygen, hydrogen coming together to create DNA. And really, I mean, we have not been able to produce that step in the laboratory, right? To take the basic elements of nature and synthesize them so that they can become the building blocks of life, like DNA. So I guess that is where the second law of thermodynamics really does pose quite a dilemma and really almost says that God or a creator, divine being, whatever you want to call it, must have created us because there is no explanation from a scientific standpoint for how mankind came into existence. And I guess I'll I'll kind of wrap up on that note. I think that's one of the the largest and, and most fundamental questions that Dreams Fulfilled would like to pose to the theologians and to the scientists and, and actually, there was a great debate between Ken Ham and uh, Bill Nye. Uh, Ken Ham lost, but he lost in that debate because he did not mention that aspect from the science standpoint of the second law of thermodynamics being a direct contradiction. And it's a law, unlike the theory of evolution, which really I don't think has any weight based on the fact of what I just told you with the second law. And we see it in a in, this experience in our everyday life that things are always dying or breaking down or are under chaos. And to be able to organize something takes a lot of energy and ingenuity. And even today in the laboratory, we cannot synthesize DNA as far as I know. Wow. So much to think about and just so much uh, knowledge you've imparted to us today. Um, just very grateful, Joe. You've been so kind. It's certainly been a pleasure, Spence. Uh, thank you for your time today. I think we we really were able to discuss a lot of critical things during this session. And like I said, I appreciate everything you did to interview me and, and allow me to be part of this podcast. Thanks back to you and, and just grateful again for what you've shared. And certainly hope everyone will uh, will take 
the information you've conveyed to us to heart. Just wish you a terrific remainder of your week here. And, and thanks for being so kind to us today. Thank you, Spence. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.